Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Today, we're beginning our third part in our series on the Holy Spirit called Present. And we're specifically looking uh, over the next couple of weeks about how the Holy Spirit has an active power within the life of the follower of Jesus and how that, 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 that power actually does real things to, to change us. It does real things in us and it actually does real things through us. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is sent by God to indwell followers of Jesus with his presence and then empowers them with his power. So he's a real person. We talked about that for a few weeks at the beginning of this series. He has an act, he's present in the life of the follower of Jesus. So we talked about what that presence means up to last week. And now over these next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about he, he has an active power within the life of the follower of Jesus. And as a helper, he takes what God God the Father wills and what Jesus begins and he brings it to full completion in the follower of Jesus. So it's not just a passive indwelling, right? But it's he has an active involvement in our lives and we can choose to either engage with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life or not. And the Holy Spirit's work in the world is actually through God's people, the church, those who are followers of Jesus. And specifically, we're looking today at how the power of the Holy Spirit um, is, is in our life to help change us to live differently, to live holy, to live like Jesus. So our main point for today is this, that the Holy Spirit continually works to invite God's people to practically live out who they are already made to be in Christ. Let me say that again, because it's a short sentence and I think it's helpful for us to know where we're going, is that the Holy Spirit continually works to invite God's people to practically live out who they are already made to be in Christ. So the word sanctify or sanctification means to be made holy or to be set apart, okay? To be a cut above, to be made holy, to be set apart. And, and we're actually kind of the central look at both this sermon today, the central verse for this sermon, as well as seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Father of Jesus is Romans 8, 11. And I wanna read that as we kind of begin the sermon and begin this new section of our sermon series. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. My friends, the follower of Jesus has the exact same power within them that raised Jesus from the dead. And the fruit of that power is becoming more like Jesus. It's sharing in his life. It's sharing even in his attributes. In a few weeks, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of which were perfectly demonstrated in Jesus. And so the, we actually become more like Jesus as we follow him over a lifetime because the Holy Spirit is within us. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And so today we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit's sanctification, but really 
we're going to see how the whole Trinity works to make you holy, more like Jesus through the strange power that is not your own. So even though we're talking about us living holy lives, us living sanctified lives, more like Jesus, we're actually going to be talking like 80% of this, 90% of this sermon is going to be about what God is doing for us. It's what God has already done for us. And we're going to see how the God, the Father, God, the Son, who is Jesus, and God, the Holy Spirit, is actually working in in the world and within us to make us more like Jesus. So in fact, we're talking about us living holy, being sanctified, and 80% of this, 90% of this is going to be what God has already done for us, and that is by design. Okay, so first we're going to look at the Father's invitation. Secondly, we're going to look at the Son's accomplishment. And finally, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's work and our participation. So let's begin by looking at the Father's invitation. My friends, holiness throughout the entire of, old, of the Old Testament is the Father's invitation and humanity's failure to be set apart. So the Father's inviting us to be set apart, and the whole Old Testament is our failure to be set apart to be holy. So God is holy, but we rebel against that holiness. You see, holy is who God is. He is ultimately set apart. He is the cut above. And we are actually made in his image and we were made to be set apart from brokenness. We were made to be whole. We were made to be holy, to be perfect. God created us in his image. So look with me at 1 Samuel 2 that talks about the holiness of God. It says, there's none holy like the Lord for there's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. My friends, you and I were created as a reflection of this holiness. We were meant to both receive the beauty of God's holiness. That's called his glory, right? The beauty of God's perfection. As God is perfectly holy, we were meant to receive that. And then like a mirror to the sun, meant to reflect that back to God and to others around us. That's how we were designed to live. But unfortunately, as we read in the first few pages of the Bible, in the garden, we rebelled against God's invitation of holiness. And we actually sought to be good and holy within ourselves. So that separate us, that introduced brokenness in the world. We were not holy anymore. But here's the problem that we were made in God's image. So we were made to be holy, but now we're not holy. So there's a conflict that happens within us. Now, to resolve that conflict, God chose a specific people group called Israel, who's the father of the Israelites was a man named Abraham. And God's desire was that this people group, Israel, would be holy. They would be set apart. They would be blessed, and then they would also be a blessing. But unfortunately, as we read the Bible, that did not happen. So I'm going to read to you two texts of scripture that together that were written about a thousand years apart just to show you the trajectory of what God intended and what happened. So we're going to begin with Exodus 19, 5 to 6. We're going to end with Isaiah 1. Now this is what it says. Now therefore, this is God speaking to the people of Israel. He's giving them a promise. He says, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession amongst all peoples. For all the earth is mine. Listen to this last part. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A thousand years later, he says these words. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Now you see, my friends, this is 
almost encapsulating in two verses, a couple verses, um, the entirety of the Old Testament, right? So the call of God was to be holy. It was to be set apart. It was to be consecrated. He says, if you will do that, you'll be my treasured possession to all the people in the world. You're going to bless everybody if you are holy and set apart. But my friends, this did not happen. The people of Israel couldn't do it. And the entire Old Testament is God's patience, God's patient love for a people who have consistently rejected his invitation to live wholly set apart and sanctified the way that they were originally created to be. And so as we arrive at the end of the Old Testament, we have a people who are far from God and they are punished for their waywardness from holiness. But yet the echoes of the Father's invitation to be set apart, they still reverberate in the human heart and there's still a need because remember, we are created to be holy and yet we introduced brokenness into the world in the garden. And so there is this conflict, there is this tension between our deepest identity and now our current actions. And how that is solved is with the Son's accomplishment. Jesus, the beginning of the New Testament, Jesus enters the scene. Now Jesus is fully human and he's fully God, right? Listen to me at how Hebrews 7 talks about Jesus. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Listen to how it refers to Jesus. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. My friends, Jesus comes on the scene and because he's perfectly God, he is holy. He is set apart. He's unstained. He's undefiled by brokenness. He enters into human history, but he is also fully human as well. And if you look here, it says, it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Now, did you catch that callback to the verse we read a few minutes ago? to being holy priests. Israel was supposed to be a kingdom of priests. Did you catch that? They were supposed to be a light for the nations. They were supposed to point people to the goodness of God, to be an intermediary between God and the rest of the world. It was through the holy nation of Israel. That was the original intention. But now God himself steps into human history to be our intermediary, to be our mediator, to come between us and himself. And we see that the son lives a completely perfect, sanctified, set apart life that we could not live. And we actually, this is why the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is why the Gospels are so important because they show us the perfect life of Jesus. They show us how he had an obedient death to die in our place. And then he had a confirming resurrection that showed that he was truly who he said he was. Jesus is the only one that can respond to the invitation of God the Father to be holy. And what we find in the New Testament is that this has been God's plan all along. That God knew that Israel was going to fail, yet he still loved them. He knew that Israel wasn't going to be holy and perfect, but he set this thing in motion and showed his grace to his wayward people in the Old Testament to then show us how he will ultimately show his grace to all people in the New Testament with Jesus. This has always been a part of his plan. This wasn't shocking to God. It wasn't like he's like, well, Israel... 
you're going to be my intermediary, a kingdom of priests. You're going to be holy, and then you're going to bless the world. Oh, bummer, i got to go to plan B. No, his plan A was always, this is going to fail, but it's going to show something about my character as I love this wayward people, and it's going to tee us up for the need of me to enter into the scene. And Jesus does do that. He accomplishes the work of being sanctified and set apart. Why? Why does he do this? He does this for you and me. He does this for us. He does this so that we could experience how good he is, even when we are wayward. And because Jesus is holy, so we can be holy. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. My friends, this is good news. This is the gospel that we can receive the perfect record of Jesus, the perfect holiness of Jesus earned for us because Jesus took our punishment on the cross as an innocent person. The perfect sanctification of Jesus can only be received if we repent and believe. So if you're joining us, and you kind of look over the course of your life, look over the trajectory of your life, and you have not had a moment where you have put a stake in the ground and said, yes, I am choosing to follow Jesus, then you are not yet a Christian, okay? So the two things that are required to become a Christian is repentance and faith. So repentance is like you're walking in one direction, okay? And then you turn around and you walk in the next direction, right? You're going off the you're going off camera on one direction and it's almost like you turn and you come off camera in the opposite direction. That's what repentance means. It's a 180 degree turn. Now that's the first thing that's required to truly receive the work of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus earned for you on your behalf. The second thing is faith and faith Faith is HBO, hear, believe, obey. You have to hear this message, which is what you're doing now. Jesus lived a perfect life. We're not holy. Jesus was holy for us. We have to believe. We have to submit to him, and then he will give us his perfection, right? You got to believe that it's true for you, that you're not good enough on your own to meet God's holiness standards. But the third thing, and this is where I think a lot of people, especially in the Southern church context, a lot of people miss the third one. And the third thing is obey. You have to obey by making Jesus Lord over your life. He has to become Lord. You have to become underneath of his authority. You have to give up control. You have to give up all the different things that you're trying to do to accomplish your own salvation, like walking off the side of the screen, right? You have to do that. You have to obey by making Jesus Lord over your life in a moment. When you do that, immediately you become a follower of Jesus. Immediately the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and you will be holy, set apart once and for all, no questions asked, no ability to lose it. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus for the Christian, and this is why I actually put this right here, we're about halfway through the sermon, but if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is the beauty of what Jesus has done for you. The Holy, as you hear, believe, obey, make Jesus Lord of your life, if you were to do that right now in this moment, he comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in, and then he actually makes you completely holy. Now, we're going to talk about the dichotomy of this because in a few minutes, we're going to talk about how just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but I just told you that the Holy Spirit makes you completely holy as if the perfect record of Jesus was on your life as if you accomplished it, right? So we're going to talk about how to wrestle through that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, for the Christian, you will sin, but you have an entirely new identity rooted in what Jesus has done for you. Look with me, again, mishmash of two verses, uh, Galatians 2.20 and Romans 8.11, which is what we read a few minutes ago. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the Holy Spirit. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, hear, believe, obey, in the Son of God, listen to this, who loved me and gave himself for me. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. My friends, the perfect life that Christ now lived, that Christ lived, it now lives within those who choose to follow Jesus. You are received, you receive his holiness. You, are, you can receive his holiness in your life. How? Immediately we are a new creation. We now have the life of Christ residing in us through the Holy Spirit. So when we believe, we receive his perfect holiness and his powerful spirit. But here's the struggle. Here's what's strange. Here's what we got to wrestle with in our last point here is we still struggle with sin. So why? How in the world can this be if we are completely made holy in the eyes of God? The Holy Spirit comes and resides within our hearts. How in the world can we then still sin, still struggle. So that's our third point. That's where we talk about the Spirit's work and our participation. So uh, in order to help explain this, I'm talking about me for a second. So Rachel and I got married in 2013, January 25th, 2013. We went to Turks and Caicos, um, which is an island in the Caribbean. We had this unbelievable wedding. And the whole family paid their own way. We all went down on a family vacation, rented a beautiful villa. And on a Friday on the beach, as the sun was setting, our friend Joey married Rachel and I. And the moment I said, I do, I became Rachel's husband. I moved from being her boyfriend. Now I moved from being a friend and the guy that would show up and cook her dinner. Okay. And her roommate's dinner as a friend, right? I moved from that to being a boyfriend and then I moved to being a fiance. But in that moment, when I said, I do, I became her husband. That was one time that was a positional thing. My position related to Rachel changed, right? And I had a new title, husband. But here's the deal. Nine years later, I'm still working out what it looks like to be a husband, being husbandly right? I'm still working that out. That's a continual process. That's an experienced process that lasts a lifetime, right? So present, one moment, um, I go from not being her husband, being her husband, but throughout the course of our whole life, I'm learning what it's like to be husbandly, to act more like a husband, to shepherd my wife well, to care for her well, to be a better husband towards her. I'm becoming husbandly, which is a continual process. My friends, this is the same thing with being made holy. In a moment, the moment you choose to put a stake in the ground and you say, Jesus, I give my life to you. You are Lord over my life. You are made holy. One time, positional. In the eyes of God, your relationship between you and God changes. That is a title that is put on you. You are now holy. But here's the deal. You work out what that means over the rest of your life by becoming holier, right? Becoming holy happens over a lifetime. It is a continual process that is experienced, right? So the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is he indwells the believer and he empowers you to begin a renewal process that takes your whole lifetime, right? Just like I'm exploring what it means to be husbandly from now to the day I die. We are invited on a journey, my friends, to become who we are already made to be in Christ. Just like I am invited 
to become a husband. I'm already made a husband, but I'm becoming more of what it means to be a husband every day as I choose to be following that path. So again, maybe to put it in another way, we're made perfect in God's eyes. We're saved, but we're still struggling with sin because we live in a broken world and we have brokenness that then fights against this new thing that God has done and is doing in us. And the apostle Paul calls this kind of fight, struggle, calls this the flesh. That's our natural inclination to oppose this new work of God in us. But this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit empowers you and me to participate in this work to become who we are already made to be. The follower of Jesus, you have a new identity. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which then drives your new actions. So we're not becoming something we're not. We're becoming something that we are. Look with me at Romans 6. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, listen to this, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. My friends, sanctification is not becoming something we're not. It's becoming something that we already are. And ends in eternal life with God. It's, it's the end of our sanctification. Our process of becoming holy will end one day. And sanctification, this idea of becoming holy, it is the work of God's spirit to help us respond to the truth of the gospel by being set apart, by being holy, by living out our faith. It is our response. It is not ultimately our work, but rather God's work. And actually, this is amazing. Peter is writing to his friends. And the very first sentence of his very first letter to his friends, he gives this profound understanding of sanctification and the work of the whole Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to, to work for our sanctification. Look with me at 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles who are dispersed throughout the world, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. My friends, God the Father first chooses us to be holy. He says, I want this for you. I want this for you. This is my will that you become like me, how I created you to be. Then what happens is, is Jesus sets off. He sparks. He does the work for us to be holy by taking all of our badness and giving us all of his goodness. That's talking about being sprinkled with his blood, this idea of how the sacrifice of Jesus can now make us clean if we believe in him. But then he says the Holy Spirit indwells us. He indwells us for a sustained obedience to Jesus Christ as we are made clean by his sacrifice for us. And then he will one day make us fully holy in the presence of God. So we see as we've been seeing all throughout the sermon series, how God the Father wills something, how Jesus inaugurates, he begins it, he sets it in motion, he does the work for it, but then the Holy Spirit sustains it, he accomplishes it, he mediates it right into our life. And my friends, here is where our choice comes in, okay? We have a choice to participate or not in this process. See, the command is to be holy, but we are already made holy by believing in Jesus. The command is more accurately, more, more specifically, is to be who you already are created to be. And just like I, as a husband, cannot seek to improve to become more husbandly, right? I can eat potato chips on the couch and say, hey, Rachel, you gotta handle all this stuff yourself. I could do that, right? That doesn't make me any less of a husband, but I'm not living out of husbandliness, 
if that makes sense, right? I'm not being a husband. I am a husband. My position is husband. But I am not acting out of my identity as a husband if I'm just eating potato chips on the couch, playing video games, or looking at pornography, or doing whatever I'm doing. Like, I need to be moving towards my wife. I need to be caring for her, growing in husbandliness, right? And I have a choice to do that or not. So sanctification, going back to this analogy, sanctification is the Holy Spirit's actual work, but it's our participation with his work in our life. My friends, going back to, again, this idea, of, this idea of being a husband, husbandly love is what drives me to serve Rachel. My decision I made on that beach in Turks and Caicos was to love her. And she made a decision to love me. And so I'm not perfect in this, okay? I mess up. I, at times, do not act husbandly towards her. I can act harshly towards her. I can be upset. We can fight. I can be stubborn. I can be irritable, right? But here's the deal. I am, want to become husbandly because I have made a choice to love my wife. It is not guilt that drives me. It is not fear that drives me. It is not shame that drives me to be a better husband. Because if it were, it'll work in the short term, but it will never last in the long term. But love and being loved the fact that I am loved by her and I have chosen to love her is what drives me to be husbandly. We are in it to win it, but we're more accurately, we're in it to become it as she is becoming more of a wife to me and I am becoming more of a husband for her. Now to help explain this, there's a guy named Walter Marshall. He wrote this uh, amazing little pamphlet called The Mystery of Sanctification in the 1600s. And I'm just going to give you two quotes from him. I could literally quote the whole thing because it's amazing. But it's very dense language. So there's only two quotes that I want to give for us today from Walter Marshall. And he called it the, it's, it's called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. But this is the first quote. It says, We must first receive the comforts of the gospel that we may be able to sincerely perform the duties of the law. Let me say it again. We must first receive the comforts of the gospel, that we may be able to sincerely perform the duties of the law. My friends, this idea of comfort is so helpful to understand the gospel. You see, the comfort of the gospel is that I am not good, but God makes me good when I have faith in Jesus, when I obey and make Jesus Lord of my life. The comfort of the gospel is that we can move from fear of failure to delight in Jesus' success on our behalf. See, that does, see, that rejects fear, but it's embracing joy, right? We can move from a constant work to do good things to resting in the good things that Jesus has already done for us. And that rejects performance, but it's embracing rest. The comfort of the gospel is that we move from pulling ourselves along to receiving the truth that we are already changed. See, that rejects our effort, but it's embracing our truest identity. My friends, the gospel tells us that the pressure is off to be a good person because we can't do it. And the reason why we can't do it is that we're not good people made better because of Jesus, but we're actually bad people changed into good people by faith in Jesus who is the perfect person. We are already, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are already made holy. So as we believe that, as we make that our deepest identity, we then long to live out of our 
new, truest, deepest identity. I become who I am already made to be as I am obedient, as I do good works. I'm not living out of a different identity. I'm not struggling against myself. I'm actually then living out of my new, truest, deepest identity about who I was created to be, even going back to the garden, right? And this process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, becoming holy, it lasts a lifetime. But the Holy Spirit is in the midst of all of this, believing the comforts of the gospel, helping us spur forward, helping us identify, connect with our truest identity, and then birth works coming out of our identity. The Holy Spirit's in the midst of all of this. He's empowering us to be obedient. And really what it does is it takes a lifetime to work that out. So one more quote from Walter Marshall as we end. He says, The kingdom of heaven, or the grace of Christ within us, is like leaven in dough which does not unite itself perfectly to the dough in an instant, but by degrees until the whole be leavened. Or like the morning light that dispels darkness, shining more and more unto the perfect day. My friends, becoming like Jesus is a lifetime effort, but it's as sure as the sun if you're a follower of Jesus. It's like you're looking at a dark horizon and you start to see it become orange from darkness and you start to see that and you're kind of like, wait, is the sun almost there? And then like you start to begin to see the sun crack over the horizon and you feel the warmth dispelling the darkness. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus until one day we are standing in the midst of the sun himself until we see his perfect light that burns away all of our imperfections that'll make us fully holy. And so we work, we labor, we choose to participate in the work that the Holy Spirit has already done for us because we know one day he will make us whole and complete again. I want to end with 2 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, the Holy Spirit continually works to invite God's people to practically live out of who they are already made to be in Christ. The work is over. Come and rest. Participate with the Holy Spirit as he works to make you more like Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.